This is bad ad copy. That was my bad ad copy for the video. Uh, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna start again. I want to start over again. Uh, uh, hello, welcome to House of Decline. Uh, remember, you can get extra content on our Patreon. Patreon.com slash House of Decline. For as little as $3 a month, you get a hundred extra comics and plus a new one every day. For $5 a month, you get the extra podcast, and we have many tiers, many tiers, in which you can uh, stake out your claim to House of Decline producership. So uh, go to patreon.com slash House of Decline and subscribe now. Now on to the show. I just wanted to... Uh... Remind everyone that for $1,820 a month, you can live with me. Yeah. You can actually move in with me. Yeah. Um, and we have a little bassinet set up for you. Uh, <laughs> you know, we don't do co-sleeping with our patrons. Um, yeah. If you need a podcast that... That's the rule, you know. Right. No co-sleep. That's the guarantee. No co-sleeping, okay? <laughs> we don't... The parasocial relationship will not extend to sharing the bed. Yeah. There will be no physical intimacy, you know, but there will be, you will feel safe, you will feel cared for, you know, you will get your choice of lullaby. Three square meals a day. Why are the meals square? Uh, the meals are square because that is the healthiest way to ingest food. Square. Everybody knows. Yeah. Mm. Everybody knows that if you cut your, you cut your meals into little cubes, that's why in the future, you know... You saw all those retro-futurist ads back in the 60s. Everyone would have, oh, here's my roast beef dinner, but it's a little cube or a pill of something. But I prefer the cube fashion, maybe with the edges sanded down so they don't have sharp edges. I wish we could just take a pill for dinner, you know? A dinner pill? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, well, you can. It's called Adderall. And then, well, you, don't, <laughs> then yeah. you don't feel hungry. I thought you, I thought you were supposed to snort Adderall. Uh, well, if I guess if you're being if you're being all dime square about it, if you're being uh -oh. a real dime square guy, um, is that uh, is that that's an area that's like in or close to Times Square? I don't know where Dime Square think, actually is located. I thought it was in, like, the downtown of Alphabet City. I'm looking it up now, I th if it even exists. I think, I mean, I think the reason it's called Dime Square is because it's near Times Square, but I could be wrong. Uh, I am looking up Dime Square on Google Maps. Apparently, according to Google Maps, uh, Dime Square is somewhere near Seward Park, uh, in, in the Lower East Side, near Chinatown. Near China, huh. it's a wonderful Chinatown. Okay, so I don't, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but that's what the whole thing was with Dime Square. It's like, uh, uh the, the downtown art scene. Remember the downtown art scene, Stephen? No, what's that? <laughs> oh, you know, just uh, people doing various performance art. Uh, people, you know, they're they're writing stuff on themselves. You know, they're painting their bodies. They're going, you know, uh, Lamont, Lamont Young, you know, just wearing biker uniforms, you know, going, was he the major fixture of the downtown? It was, it was, he was a fixture. Yeah. I don't know if he was the major well, his whole thing. Uh, is, his whole thing is making fixtures and then having sound come out of them. Absolutely. I went and the to, sound uh, that would come out of them, it would be, I went to that room he set up. Um, yeah, the room he set, the Lamont Young room. I, do you know what it's called? It's on Church Street. Um, 
I went there. It's no, like I know. A, it's a big it's a big sound house. Though. Yeah. It's they have a, these huge speakers playing different frequencies and then when you if you move your head, then the frequencies shift around so you can play the room uh, like with your own head as the instrument. It's pretty neat. That's pretty neat. It smells you like a lot of um, interesting guys. Yeah, it smells like incense in there, like a, a bald Hari Krishna guy answers the door and he's like, Please take off your shoes and enjoy the, the <laughs> young room. I forget what it's called. I'll look it up and if you're in New York City, you should definitely go check it out. Uh, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, the downtown art scene, apparently, it used to just be about, oh, you walk through a house and there's shifting tones. What a nice atmospheric thing that I can go through. It's called the Dream House. The Dream House. Yeah, Lamont Young's Dream House. Uh, that's what it used to be. And now, apparently, it's some sort of weird fasc- pseudo-fascist performance art, which is very funny. Because to me, what that harkens back to is, you know, someone that we know, uh, Lucian Wintrich, right, did his whole Twinks for Trump thing. And then later did his Trump, his Brooklyn Trump art piece where uh, Martin Shkreli contributed a pill. Mm. That was Martin Shkreli's contribution. And Milo Yiannopoulos bathed in pig's blood under uh, the photos of people that were killed by illegal immigrants. I wouldn't say that I know uh, this person. I would say we were at the same college, unfortunately. Yeah, we interacted with this. I know this person. I I, I interacted with this person. Oh, yeah. He was. He never interacted with me. I don't think I was hot enough. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Not, I was not Couldn't a hot enough man. I didn't have. But muscles. yeah, this very, very strange, very strange person. Uh, in in the freshman year, he started a uh, secret club with all the cool people. Right. <laughs> a secret society, like a like a, a skull and bones style club. Yeah. And the school we went to uh is like a bunch of Manhattan jerk-offs, like w- way too wealthy Manhattan yes. people. Um HBO's girls, you know, basically. A bunch of yes. HBO's girls. Yes. And they were all at the school, and this this nascent Twinks for Trump guy was like, "Hey, do you want to start a secret club of cool people?" So, which is funny. <laughs> I heard it. I heard a slightly different uh, version of this. I heard that he was telling uh, people that it was a as already established secret club, and he had uh. been <laughs> he had been chosen to be the person to like pick all the members and. And a lot of people got mad when they realized that he that he was lying, that it wasn't like an established <laughs> secret club with a lot of history behind it. Because he, he was he it, like imagine someone at Yale trying to start Skull and Bones, but Skull and Bones hasn't existed. He's yeah. trying to start his own Skull and Bones. Um, <laughs> yeah. Why can't we masturbate in coffins here at this school? You know, right. it was really the coffin masturbation uh, that got him going. You know. Um, um, I'm glad that my high, I was so like o- oppositional to literally everyone due to my high school because it really saved me from being friends with the bad people. Uh, it also yes. kept me from being friends with some of the good people, but you know, you got to count your blessings. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, I was friends with this bad person for before I figured out like because uh, I he he lived in the Mooney Seminary that was just south of our school. Mm-hmm. There, there was a Moody Seminary. Yeah, there was. And there, it was so the, this... the Unification Church bought this property um, close to our college in the 70s. And at that time, there was a lot of concern because they would drive their buses to campus and kidnap students. Um, <laughs> and then, so, you know, every so often the college would have to send out some people to go retrieve the students who had been... <laughs> 
kidnapped by the cult and bring them back. And most of the yeah. time they were all just so totally stoned that it was fine. They were just having a good yeah. time. It was just cash and release, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Guess you call it, dude. The Moody. We here at the Moody's are getting the college. Yeah, but the Moody Seminary is this weird old. It's like Silent Hill. Yeah. If you ever went in the not Silent, it's like Resident Evil. Mm -hmm. I should say, okay. if you ever went to the building, very Resident Evil one. And he lived in this room, and he had like uh, he had a bar with whiskeys and highballs because he's you know this nineteen year old pitcher who's trying to be. Uh, erudite and cool. He's trying to be John Cheever. He really liked John Cheever for some reason. I remember a lot of details about this guy because he is a singular fucking asshole. A singular fucking mm -hmm. moron. Uh, and uh, yeah, he had a portrait of Reagan above his bed and I thought, oh, oh it's you're ironic. It's I, ironic. I, had a, yeah, I had a portrait of Reagan at the house we lived at. There you go. Um, there you that go. I found at a basketball court in high school. But in your case, it actually was ironic. Oh, yes. Just dumb fucking smile that he has. Yeah. And Reagan, I, there's nothing behind my eyes, you know. That's what you sort of have to be in order to... I feel like you have to almost have Alzheimer's to, to be a beloved president. I guess it's not working out for old Brandon there. Um, I have no idea. I don't care. I don't care what he does or doesn't do. Yeah. Uh, seems like everything's fine. Is everything fine? I don't know. I like people like it's funny because I, I log on to social media and people are like, well, this is it. We've lost. This is the end. And I'm like, what the yeah. fuck happened? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a uh, people really like exaggerating where it's like uh, after the Mar-a-Lago raid, Steven Crowder was like prepare war is tomorrow and then he was like then the next day arrived and he was like, here's a new shirt. You yeah. can buy in my store. It's war. Some, buy some, my shirt. Some guy who loves corn wanted to destroy the FBI and tried to shoot at them from cornfields. Yeah. That, okay. Cool. Like like the banned corn or the physical? No, the uh, the, the corn corn. The food know. stuff, the staple crop corn. It's. Do you think the banned corn named themselves corn because of corn? They just love corn. Maybe, maybe that way. I'm sure there's. I'm sure there's lots of etymology of the band name Corn. We could look up the Corn story right now. The corn story. The Corn story right now. <laughs> um, I would love. I would love a lifetime style movie about Jonathan Davis because he went through some real shit. Apparently, you know? so did um, that guy Corey Taylor from Slipknot. I was when I when I was listening to Get Cynical, they talked about. It. Um, Corey Taylor from Slipknot a little bit. Mm -hmm. I never got into Slipknot. They're fun. Uh, when thinking of a band name, someone suggested Corn, but the regular spelling. But the band rejected the name. So Schaefer had the idea to spell it with a K instead of a C and a backwards R. So, so the band's name would appear as Corn. Oh, cool. I was basically of, right. I was right. <laughs> the idea of using a backwards R came from the logo of retailer Toys R Us, <laughs> for which many of the band members have previously worked. <laughs> the Corn story is a fascinating tale. We Amazing. tell it every Christmas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but do you know why there's a backwards R? Because they all worked at defunct, somewhat defunct toys chain, Toys R Us. Uh, yeah, I think it is. It's sort of defunct. What happened to that? It's story? not in Canada. In Canada, they still exist, but in America, yeah, they they Didn't all some went venture venture capitalist firm like buy it. 
Yeah, I think I think it was Mitt Romney's firm. They bought it oh, and they really? did the thing which all VC firms do, which is gut it and then leave it for dead. I don't know uh, if it was Bain. Bain Capital. Uh, and then this <laughs> Silvery explained the music makes the name because Corn's a dumb name, but once we get established, it makes the name cool. <laughs> Yeah, I like how they had no illusions about it. I don't cool. like how they just all went with it. Someone, and it's, it's just someone suggested court. <laughs> they don't even remember who suggested court. What a great band! I mean, it does stick in your head because it is dumb. Corn. <laughs> you just like yeah. saying it too. It's not bad, and they it certainly didn't. I don't think it hurt them in any way. I also think it sort of describes the music because the music of Corn is very corny. There is like a sentimental aspect to it, mm. which I think. Uh, but I, I think that's what makes it endearing. I think the fact that it's so you know on the cuff. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, off the cuff about its uh, uh, your horrible personal problems in this music. I mean, that's why people relate to it as well. I see. Uh, like it's hard. Corn is. It's hard to think of corn as tough music. I think of it more as brooding music than like fight music. You know. Yeah. What's uh, what's like some what's the music you want to put on when you have to do a fight? Uh, Bad Reputation by Joan Jett. <laughs> oh, I was thinking. No, no, what's no, the no. other Joan Jett song with like the? Uh, I love rock and roll. I, I put that one on. Uh, all right, I, I guess uh, uh, it would be Big Bad Leroy ba- Brown by Jim Croce, my current tour. Uh, moving Out, Anthony's song is good fight music. Mm, yeah, I would do, you know, something by the Bee Gees, so I could dance, yeah, yeah. dance fight. More than a woman, more than a woman. And then you're you're farting on people as is, as is your fighting style. Oh, you'd have the farting fighting style. I have the fart fight style, yeah. <laughs> That's that's pretty good. Yeah, that's that's absolutely. People do not understand five thousand years of fart karate. You know how you goes sometimes... all back to the ancient fart Okinawans. <laughs> you know they were training on their land. They you know you have, one must be disciplined with their farts. You know this is this is great material. You know how you get those farts <laughs> that sometimes are like actually smell like an open sewer. Yeah, yeah. What like why that seemed to be like randomly happen? What what's going on with that? Uh, it's because you're, you're at night. You're shoving dead bodies into your ass, pussy. That's you know, true. at dead night, you're digging up dead. Uh, you know, it's like you're a somnambulist. You got a cabinet Dr. Caligari thing going on. You're you're going out at night <laughs> with a shovel. You're half awake. You're digging up the grave of someone named uh, Gertrude Miata. And, you know, you're taking her skull. You're taking what little bits of flesh remain on her skull, and you're shoving them up your boy, pussy. And you're like you're 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 crunching them. You're crunching how, how about them there. The and then you cabinet, go back to sleep. How about the cabinet of Doctor Calamari? And it's it's like, ooh, I'm a squid. Ooh. Yeah, I'm a squid guy. Ooh, I'm a spooky ooh, squid guy. I I go out at night and I make I I guess because Doctor Caligari wasn't the one committing the murders. He would do the hypnotism to make uh, people commit the murders. Um. Well, the one guy to commit the I murders. mean, you, you watched that movie for the expressionist set design, you know? Yeah. Very yeah, cool. I watch a lot of movies for their expressionist set design, like Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Yeah. It's my hot favorite tub, example of expressionist. Hot Tub Time Machine. Hot Tub Time Machine, favorite <laughs> example of expressionist set design. Absolutely. All those angles, all those hard angles, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I think... Uh, 
culture really peaked with hot tub time machine because we i mean i say that in jest but it's true we don't have that type of uh uh middle of the road shitty comedy anymore that gets released especially mm. one that has like a, a like a pretty big bankable star for some reason right. as like the main main guy like uh i i don't know is john cusack a bankable star not anymore not after all of his twitter outbursts isn't he? Isn't he left? Uh, left Twitter, darling. Yeah, that's why Holly, Hollywood's John not Cusack. into that. They don't actually like leftism. Oh, are you kidding? No way. Uh, I'm trying to think of the Hollywood commies. I don't. I mean, listen. Dalton Trumbo. Yeah, Holly. Like, uh, why? Why would you think Hollywood is is leftist? It, well, it's funny. Well, I mean, that's the pitch that right-wing people are saying. It's saying communists oh, have entered Hollywood. Oh, when literally there was a whole thing where they, they hunted, rooted out all their communists, and it was a big deal. Yeah, that's why that's why we have, like, all of these movies, like, about, like, killing Middle Easterners every single year. Like, um, Marvel movies, and then you have, like, the hunt for the 12 Middle Easterners that are left in the Middle East, starring dumb fuck with the haircut. I'm trying to think of, like, any mainstream Hollywood movie that could be interpreted as having, like, a communist or socialist message. I think, you know, the Chapo's really—the last one was Avatar. The last one that had a vague anti-imperialist or, like—and sort of like a holdover from the 90s. Because there are actually a lot of movies in the 90s had, like, an anti-imperialist message. and Like, I'm thinking of Ferngully. Yeah, I mean— Which is— Oliver Stone makes them sometimes, right? Yeah, I, Scarface is a very—yeah, Scarface is a—you could say is a leftist movie. Well, no, no, I'm well, going not, too far. he's not— I, don't, I wouldn't go so far necessarily to call him a leftist because I don't know that I'm not like an Oliver Stone expert, but he's anti-imperialist. He's, uh, no, he's meaningfully socialist. He's, I mean, making JFK is um, that's not a conservative thing to do. No, or I guess you know, even making Malcolm X, the fact that Malcolm X was allowed to appear at that time, you know, as um, uh, Malcolm X, he wasn't a socialist, was he? I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know my I don't know my black history that. I well. mean, if I was had to he, guess, he, if I had to guess, what happened was that Malcolm X didn't wasn't at the beginning and then became more socialist, and then the FBI was like, "Oh shit, oh shit," and then they killed him. Uh, he he, uh, socialist dot net. I don't know if he can. Uh, I, I I don't know. Yeah, he, you, I don't think he was like a socialist. Are you browsing the internet? I'm browsing the internet. <laughs> this is the scintillating radio that you hear on House of Decline. Um, but yeah, I, the Panthers were socialists, but I don't think I don't think Malcolm X was. I mean, the Panthers were communists. They were straight up communists, but uh, Maoists in a lot of cases. But. Malcolm, I don't know. Doesn't seem like he he fought against injustice. Uh, like certainly his his message and his uh, was here's something from Workers Liberty. Was Malcolm X a socialist? Um, I don't really. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I don't. I'm not going to get into this. I'm not an expert on uh, uh, black socialism throughout the 20th century. But if I had to guess, I would say not in you, not in a meaningful way. You could call him a socialist or a let's, communist. Uh, let's look at the Google the Google suggestions for was Malcolm X was Malcolm was, X married? 
Ooh, is there a Mrs. X? (laughs) Was Malcolm X a ginger? A ginger? Yeah. So, yeah, he may have had reddish hair. Okay, that's fine. And that's really all there was. So, yeah, he did sort of have a reddish tint to his hair in his younger days. That's interesting. Okay. That's fine. Cool. Well, I didn't know that. I've always kind of thought he was cool. I mean, I don't know that much, but I think he's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. uh, I don't think, like, what are the big, like, uh, Adam McKay, who nominally identifies as, as sort of at least more left of center than uh, other Hollywood directors, but his movies have this sort of lib quality to them that don't look up and... Uh, Advice uh, and, yeah. and uh, even the big short, you know, there is still this pretty middle of the road quality to them. And I, I wonder if that's just calculated to be like, uh, here's what an audience wants. You know, I'm trying to articulate this to a mass audience. so I can't poke the bear too much. I uh, guess uh, um, don't look Parasi- up as- like uh, Parasite for sure. Uh, like Bong Joon-ho is actually a card carrying socialist. So I think you could say but they, ha- they have cards over there for that. They have cards over there. They have the commie cards. Huh. Uh, no, I, I don't know anything about South... Speculating on a lot of world socialism right now. Uh, but, uh... I guess, yeah, Parasite was a big hit, too. But I'm probably exaggerating that in my head based on the response on Twitter. Like, I don't know how much it penetrated the mainstream consciousness. But, like, Didn't um, it win the Oscar, though? It won the Oscar, yeah, for sure. But that's not like the next next year Coda won, and who saw Coda? You know. Yeah, I saw like the first twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty boring. Yeah. Uh. So. Yeah, but I feel like uh, in that in the nineties, in that end of history moment, they were okay with letting more oppositional media like be presented because it was like eh, we won already we don't need to care about these criticisms because capitalism will find a way you know yeah it's interesting now that i'm seeing all these comments like oh we lost our side lost the left has lost and i thought we i thought that that had been you know the game had been lost for a while now yeah well do people? I guess people always have to say, you know, the people want to wallow in something. I they think it's the, young, the younger possible. generation realize there's no hope. I think that's what's happening right now. Is that? Is there no hope? I I generally I generally coast along believing there is hope. Um, sure, there is, but not in the not in the way that they want, like full transformative change right now. Yeah. I mean, in order to do that, you know, a lot of you are going to have to get pretty good at guns very quickly. Yeah, I mean, you don't want that necessarily. It sucks. It's like... (laughs) I mean, well, at some point, they. I mean, that's sort of the tragedy. It seems like the inevitability of uh, that happening within our lifetime is... is, I mean... Maybe that's what you're saying. Yeah, but it's going to be natural disasters and shit. Yeah. I don't... I doubt... I I mean, who knows? It could be some kind of nuclear bomb thing, but... It's for most Americans like the worst thing that can happen to them is a natural disaster, and mm-hmm. you know those are going to happen more. And you better be ready to you know surf out on a flood if you if you need to get your yeah get everyone your board out. 
Uh, everyone should have their houses uh, on stilts, and the out and your house should also double as a houseboat as well, in case you know you need to ride the waves. Yeah. In case you need to ride, I mean, uh, there's going to be a big, big surge in the houseboat market, Stephen. You know, Waterworld. Tell the talk about the ultimate movie that predicted everything. It's Waterworld. Yeah, you know, it's um, um the 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 transformative change like happens with like generally a lot of violence. So, you know. Yeah. But things aren't that bad. Uh, they're basically well, the same. Oh, the rainwater is not drinkable anymore. It's uh, it's if you're drinking right now like out of a can that's sealed with plastic. I, you know, I mean, people are drinking out of plastic bottles and they're complaining about the the forever chemicals. You're talking about the PFAS. Uh, look, I I enjoyed. There was at one point in my life where I enjoyed a nice tall glass of rainwater, <laughs> and I just can't have that anymore. You know, I, it used to be you could have a gin and rainwater, and you you just take your gin, you'd put you'd put two fingers of gin in highball. And you'd you'd uh, it would be raining, and you'd lift your, your glass out into the rain, and you'd have a bunch of rainwater dumped in there, and you'd have a big gross, you'd have a big gross alcoholic parade with yourself, and you jack off in front of the mirror, and you go, I'm alone, I'm alone. But at least you know you'd have the gin and rainwater for you. And now, these chemicals in it are gonna make me even gayer. Well, there is you a know? way to get rid of the forever chemicals, um, if anyone is interested, and that way is to donate blood. You, oh. you donate blood that forever chemicals some of them go out with your blood and then your body makes new blood and then you don't have as many forever chemicals so if you're concerned about all the rainwater intake mm -hmm. go donate blood every month or however frequently yeah. you can do it and then some blood per some person that doesn't have enough blood they get your forever chemicals they become gay you know they start becoming gay is that what is uh, that what happened to you is that why you got, you got, you caught it. You caught the gay. Yeah, yeah. Well, because it's the microplastics make make you gay. And you know, I I ate a lot of my action figures as a kid. You know, I would suck on them. I'd, I'd suck on them until the paint chipped yeah. off. And you know, thinking little... about microplastics and how much I chewed on the plastic tips of pens, like the pen absolutely. cap. Absolutely. I was chewing on micro. I mean, macro plastics. And... Yeah, absolutely. And it's you know, it's a it's a testament to your straightness that you're not gay right now. What with all the plastics. I know. Can you imagine how straight I used to be? <laughs> wow. You, you, you were, you were, uh, forget about Chuck Norris jokes. They would have been making Steven jokes. I, um, I, I, yeah, and the microplastics brought me all the way to the brink of bisexuality, but didn't, yeah. I didn't go, I didn't cross the line. I did you not. Didn't. I didn't. You cross. never, you tiptoed <laughs> ever close to the line of bisexuality. Whoop. Maybe I knew. Yeah, and then meanwhile, like, I crossed. I'm that kind of bisexual guy who only likes like the hottest guys that look the right. most like a lady. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, does that even count? Yeah, at that point, no. It's like, yeah. uh, no, you're just straight. Uh, I, I like the idea of the gayness. Like, I go to the doctor and says the gayness is spreading. You're becoming even gayer as you get older. <laughs> The, uh, the 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 gay community took a big L, I guess. Not really, in terms of um, not being able to uh, hook up with Lee Pace anymore because he got married. I mean, you can still hook up with him, you know. It's... Well, no, he's he's monogamous. Is he? 
I don't know. Is he? I don't know. You don't know that. They could be married, but I, they could still be fucking guys. I, on I kind of had a little twinge of disappointment. I love Lee Pace. So I was like, God you, damn you, it. you think he's beautiful? He's hot? Oh, yeah. He's great. Yeah. He's he, so was a, it's, uh, he was in a movie I saw recently, um, which I, I could talk about, uh, called Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The critic couldn't take the heat. The, yes. That was one very funny part of the discourse is apparently some critic called Lena Wilson, who looks like an alternate universe, like degraded version of Lena Dunham. <laughs> no, she her looks are fine. Yeah, no, no. I mean, like in I, I say looks only in that she's like of the same class of wealthy, you know, obnoxious assholes that Lena Dunham is part of. OK, OK. Which uh, which is funny because that's what the movie's about, too. And uh, Amanda Stenberg, apparently, uh, a message, th- this person, Lena Wilson, wrote a negative review of Bodies, 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 uh, of which Amanda Stenberg is the producer and star of. And Amanda Stenberg went in her DMs, uh, said, apparently one of the lines Lena Wilson used was, uh, this movie is like an advertisement for cleavage. And Amanda Stenberg wrote some sort of playful comment in her DMs. And then Lena Wilson said, um, this is... But it blew up the DM mm-hmm. and said, this is not okay. You have so much social power over me. And everyone was like, whoa, whoa, lady. I mean, cool it. <laughs> that was so not. I, I couldn't, I couldn't parse this because I don't, like, you couldn't pay me to look up, <laughs> like, who these people are and what the yeah. movie is because it's not, you know, I'm, uh, what am I? What's... Well, the movie, it is bad, though. The movie is, yeah, it sure is it like, is. Yeah. an irritating movie. Um, the problem with the movie, in my mind, I, like I posted about it, is that it has the dialogue that feels like it was entirely pilfered from Twitter threads, mm-hmm. which is a thing that you see in television and movies a lot more lately. I think I think like James Gunn's writing, especially in mm. in Peacemaker, really like uh, smacks of that quality. And the goal is of this type of writing is is that, oh, you want to create dialogue that's realistic. And here are people that are having these, quote unquote, realistic conversations all the time on social media, which is the problem because, you know, no, people aren't having realistic conversations on social media. They're being a character on social media and they're sort of presenting, uh, you know, who you are in text is very different than who you are, uh, uh, than who you are just conversationally talking. So I feel there is this tendency to like uh, think that just uh, assembling Twitter threads together will make uh, you know believable dialogue. And what's interesting too is it's assembled of these stock characters, these annoying millennial slash Zoomer stock characters. Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, it's funny that's a thing now that 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 is just like an archetype. Because uh, I can, it's very easy to compare it to HBO's Girl, so I will. Um, but it feels like that archetype sort of fomented around 2010 of the sort of shiftless, wealthy, narcissistic, uh, you know, uh, artiste type person, you know, where the arc of their character is them becoming slightly less selfish over the course of their life. Um, and... You know, say what you will about HBO's Girls, but it, it that show is executed and it those characters feel so much more lived in and believable um, and honest than the characters in this movie, which very much feel like seven, like six different versions of the same stock character. And then Lee Pace, uh, who plays like a different type of guy. Um, 
the performances in it are all good. Uh, Rachel Sennett uh, is very good. She plays a, a character named Amanda, and like a big, a big thing in it is she has a podcast. And, you know, that's her personality, one of her personality uh, traits. And uh, it's, it, that's our personality. That's our, yeah, that's us. That's us. We're, um, but, yeah, uh, the the plotting of the movie is good. There's a lot of good setup and payoff and, you know, uh, playing with your expectations. And uh, uh, even uh, how it ends is pretty funny. Uh, uh fucking pete davidson is in it and he does a pretty good job he's playing an asshole he does a good job at playing an asshole um but another huge problem with the movie is like the script calls for everything to be at night um which usually when you're shooting it and at night specifically in a hurricane where you can't see anything so there have been movies that pull this off like the descent like where it's mostly darkness, but like they figure out interesting ways to light the characters, usually with flares or with cameras. Uh, in this movie, it does not find as many visually dynamic ways to light the characters. It is just darkness for a lot of the movie. Well, which they should is, just have um, them be on their phone and their faces are illuminated by their. It is feed. that they do that, but they don't. They could have heightened it. I think it's weird because they have these very, like, uh, stock characters, but the movie is supposed to have this sense of verite to it as well. And sort of they want to have it both ways where this movie is at once realistic, but at, 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 at uh, on the other hand, heightened because of the, the sort of uh, pseudo comedic portrayal of these awful uh, millennial types. And it's like... It's interesting, to, like, the problem with girls um, that a lot of people had, but I think is what sort of makes the show cool, is that you're never sure if you're supposed to like these people or not. You're never sure if you're supposed to identify with them You're because they're horrible, but they're also relatable in certain ways. Um, and I think that is executed much better, like, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And that that trope comes back again today, but in, in this sort of ersatz you know, degraded format. Um, But, uh, yeah, so, but it's interesting we have this, it's interesting that this this media thing of this wealthy hipster, essentially, is, I feel is very overrepresented in media, too, because I guess, you know, that's who's making it. Yeah, who's making it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. The thing that it's, it's making me think of is how, novelists these days are only able to write like personal experience novels Mm -hmm. so they have to have a messy breakup so that then they can write their book their big book about it and and Mm -hmm. the only thing the only thing people are able to do creatively now it seems is is tell their own story and it's kind of a shame because you know the interesting stories are the ones that are where interesting things happen. It's it's like a, a a story about a party where everyone's like what playing mafia. Yeah. Like yeah, okay, we all have that story. We don't need to hear Yeah, but the, in this in this version it's a spooky because everybody everybody starts killing each other. Oh, they start killing each other. Okay. Yeah, that's the joke. That's, that's the, the gag that's of the, the movie. Okay. I mean, I um, don't know. 
You've had a lot of these movies, actually. It's become a, a trend of, like, horror comedies, of murdery horror comedies involving class commentary. Okay. Where you have uh, The Hunt was one of them, and Ready or Not was also another one of them. But in those movies, like, uh, the wealthy people are portrayed much closer to how I understand wealthy people, which are... Um, Dumb, much dumber, much less sort of invested in this uh, Brooklyn-y culture, you know. Uh, and I guess maybe that's also why I didn't like the movie, because it hits too close to home, maybe. In the same way that uh, Spinal Tap, uh, you know, rock stars didn't like Spinal Tap oh. because uh, they were like, this happened to us. This isn't funny. This happened to us. Yeah, we did We did get lost in the basement yeah. of the Coliseum, and we were not <laughs> able to find where we could get on stage, and the crowd got very angry. <laughs> what a good movie. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's that, because I would have liked it more if it was closer to realism. It's the fact that it's these stock characters interacting that um, really sort of took me out of it and left me unable to sympathize uh, with a lot of these characters. Uh, but um, I think the other interesting thing about this movie is that uh, I, I went and saw it with a friend, and I was making these comments with my friend, but my friend uh, liked it unequivocally. But then my friend saw that the person who had made the story for the movie was the lady who wrote the cat person story. <laughs> and he instantly was like, ah, oh, this movie sucks. This oh, movie is shit. <laughs> Oh, that's a shame. I mean, I didn't find the cat person thing to be like a deal breaker for, you know, everyone can have a redemption arc. I'm sure the cat person person <laughs> could have a redemption arc. What was the cat person thing about? The cat person was just about like a, a relationship with a male manipulator. Oh, and was she writing about her own life again? She writing about her own life. Okay. But yeah. okay, here's that. That's the other thing about it. It's just, it's not even about using self as reference because i think when you're writing about anything or when you're writing fiction you're always using yourself as a reference because you know you can't but but the the trick is you pair it with imagination right well what if i could picture myself doing something i haven't done before and because you know yourself is not just yourself either you are many things at many different times you know you could be a you could be a heroic version of yourself. You can be a cowardly version of yourself. You know, you've experienced that at any different time. So uh, I think you can always use that to extract. But I think what you're saying, the I have to have specifically experienced something in order to write about it. I have to draw one to one from my real life experience um, that a lot of people sort of. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can know any of you go to the bestseller list or the new books list and, and the plots are like. How I had, like, a, how I overcame, like, a book, a, like, a novelization, a fiction book about a girl or boy who, like, gets over their worst relationship out of college and finds themselves mm -hmm. in a new career and that doesn't work out. And, mm -hmm. I mean, the only, it seems like the only people who are actually using their imaginations are the young adult authors and they're using their imaginations <laughs> to... Um, come up with some terrible stuff too so i really don't know what's going on i just think humans overproduce creative content and there's really only like a little portion of them that is worthy of mass like consumption but mm -hmm. uh, we have to just churn and churn all this schlock out 
so yeah. we can and, and you know mine through it to find the the gold nuggets yeah and we might and we might not be a part of those gold nuggets let's see let's see correct. if we are correct you know yeah and you know, it's like i felt like that with my own artistic output of music like you know i i've contributed to the canon sort of a tiny bit yeah. a minute like a, a, the um sort of comparative amount would be like an atom i've contributed one atom of of creative mm -hmm. output it's out there you can find it it has it has it, it has maybe pushed other people artistically in another direction and I'm certain my guitar playing has pushed people away from guitar music. <laughs> more, probably more occasions than it's pushed towards it. Um, yeah, I, I think that's an. I think that is a, a thing with being an artist too. Is like even a, a Bo Burnham. You know, early early in his like I'm doing dramatic songs. You know, his song I'm just an artist. I'm wearing makeup. I'm wearing and it's whiny and bullshit. I hate I hate fucking Bo Burnham so yeah, much. Yeah, I refuse to watch <laughs> Such him. Such a well, fucking. <laughs> I refuse to watch him. I had a friend from high school DM me and be like, I got a lot of Steven vibes from Bo Burnham, and I <laughs> and I just sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, and then, then later, like a year or two later, to like just the other, I mean, a week or two or so, I tweeted, like, I wonder if anyone's ever um, written a song about feeling like shit. <laughs> and this same guy replies to me with a Bo Burnham song that's just called Shit. And I just went like, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, no, so. Bo Burnham's fine, and he's very clever, and he's very competent, but it's, um, I don't know, it feels like it's music for people who otherwise only listen to video game soundtracks, or it's like, it's comedy for people, <laughs> that that's their only music taste, mm -hmm. if you understand, a very specific type of normie, uh, I shouldn't call them normies, I don't know, that's not, really not a normie. That is not. No, you're right. You're right. It's you theater. It's theater kid shit. That's I mean, ultimately what it is. It's theater kid shit. Yeah. The, no, no, the normal people are not listening to video game soundtracks. I mean, unless culture true. has really changed in the past ten years, normal people are listening to. They're um, listening to Jason Aldean. Or they're yeah. listening to the Young Sheldon soundtrack. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> With the laugh track still in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Young Sheldon, of course, the only comedy, the only comedy that exists today, the last one, and I'm glad it was there. Um, the last comedy on TV? Yeah, it's the only one. They should make, um, I don't know, they should make, like, a sitcom again. I, weren't they gonna bring back Frasier? Uh, yeah, I think they were gonna bring back Frasier. I think they, they should they... make Frasier gay in this one. <laughs> I think they oh, probably nice. had a had a conversation with um, Kelsey Grammer, and then they were like, "Maybe we're gonna put this on hold." Uh, yeah, because he's he's very right wing. Yeah, or you can't. He's put, more, you can't. Is he more right wing lately because he's been empowered by uh, the the Trump train? Possibly. Have you been keeping tabs on? Have you been doing your right wing watch? No, I haven't been doing that. I've been. Uh, what have I been doing? Are you the Will Sommer of Kelsey Grammer? Yeah, I've been keeping tabs on the right-wing upstart Kelsey Grammer. I've been like, uh, I've been hanging out in the Discord and um, saying crazy stuff. Basically, what I've been doing is like trying to find memes and then post them in the Discord. Mm -hmm. That's like what I, <laughs> like, <kind of laughs> just trying to find memes. I'm like, I tell my wife, I'm like, quiet, I'm I'm mining for memes. There you go. I'm deep in my, my meme mine. 
Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, you got to have a, a good meme channel. Exactly. Everybody likes memes. Yeah. That's, everybody likes it when they replace some sort of uh, message in, in a news story with goblin mode. Yeah, goblin what if they mode. went it's goblin so mode? Right uh, <laughs> it's, it's very old at this point. Uh, the thing that's very, the meme that is hot right now is the lady explaining something to a man, but she looks drunk. Okay, and, yeah. And the, my governor used the meme recently. Um, your governor? The governor of used Michigan. The, the lady used, explaining me? Yeah. So it's that's really, funny. you guys have to quit um, beating these things into the ground. Yeah. A good meme should not be shareable. It should be so specific that only three people enjoy it. Sure. I mean, that's kind that of is, that is not like the definition the, of a meme. But <laughs> I make art memes, okay? You know, I make art memes to be enjoyed only by, like, six people. I make memes that are so obscure and unpleasant. I make the, I make the, the noise music of memes, okay? I make the god—I'm a fucking artist, Okay. You know, th- this in- these memes inherently resist capitalism because, you know, right. who would want to purchase these memes? Who would want to profit off of these memes? These memes that are so obscure, that are so fucking fucked up that only like two or three people will be like, wow, that resonated with me. But you know what? You know what you've done by reaching those two or three people? You've created meme heart, buddy. There's created a cool, just- cool event going on in my town called Fuzz Fest. Fuzz Fest. Yeah, for like heavy rock, heavy metal. Okay. And I thought it was, a, it sounded like either a furry or a police festival. Yeah. Or maybe like for furry police, are furry police officers called the Fuzz? That would be very cool if there was a furry police officer. I'm sure there's one. Can you there's imagine? There's got to be one. Yeah. Oh <laughs> furry cops. Oh, I would love for him to show up in a in a full wolf uniform and just like tasering my balls. Very racist, yeah. It's like, oh, taser my balls, you furry daddy. Come on, tase him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> That's my fetish is to be have my balls tased by a wolf. Uh, by an anthropomorphic cop wolf? Yeah, with like abs. <laughs> yeah, they got washboard wolf abs. Yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do, do you want it to have a human-like penis or a wolf-like oh, penis? Oh, wolf-like penis. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. you're going all the way. Oh, yeah. You're going all the way. Yeah, it's no good if it if they don't have the actual animal-like penises. This FuzzFest thing is cool, man. I want to go, maybe. Uh, this heavy metal festival that's the not a The headliner is office. Human Skull. <laughs> that's a great name that's for awesome. a band. Yeah, let's see. I'm going to read some of the bands. Um, Scissor yeah. Now. And scissor, scissor Now! Yeah, Mazinga. Mazinga. Um... <laughs> Okay, here we go. Uh, barbed wire playpen. <laughs> okay, great. Here's one. Die laughing. <laughs> Metal. Uh, caveman, woodman, and barn barn moss. I like that one. That's I like those one. those guys. Yeah. I like caveman, woodman, and barn barn moss. Yep. Uh, Doctor Pete and the cytotoxic Nyatiti band. <laughs> you know they're into some fucked up shit. Yeah, dude. This look. This is awesome. I want to go to this show. Uh, a lot of big freaks in Michigan. A lot of big rock and roll freaks in Michigan. Yeah, I want to. I want to get back into doing some live music. You know, get my get my loud as fuck twin reverb out, mm-hmm. and uh, get my get my. Uh, I got one of the what's it called? <laughs> I got a little big muff. A little big muff, which is a fun th- fun pedal because it's like a big muff, but it's the little version. So it's a right, yeah, little, little big, big muff. muff. You know, 
do some uh, do some screaming solos, but my fingers are my fingers are so out of shape. It's nuts. Yeah, I'm trying to play guitar, and it's like my fingers are too tired. Uh, maybe uh, maybe you should uh, start taking finger supplements. Uh, yeah, I think what I need to do is practice. You know, uh, that that or you know, you put what you do is you cut open your finger and you put the B12 vitamin right in there. Take steroids to get like finger muscles for guitar. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> inject steroids right into your fingers. I think that's what Herman Lee did in Dragon Force. <laughs> He's got really muscular fingers. Yeah, <laughs> His absolutely. finger muscles are like got veins on them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everyone wants really vascular fingers. That's what you're. That's what you're going for. Why did you choose Herman Lee as like the? Why not Steve Vai? Oh, well, see, Steve Vai is Steve Vai doesn't focus on speed. Steve Vai focuses on a lot on like this kind of cheesy emotive um playing uh, mm -hmm. that herman lee is about speed he's all about all speed about at dragon speed. force yeah, yeah. I, was, I haven't heard a lot about dragon force for like 20 years <laughs> i feel like not 20 years like 50 they weren't popular since i was in high school yeah you know that's like are they still are they still doing are they still releasing albums what was the last dragon force album that was released i don't know uh, <laughs> Dragon Force. You know who doesn't like power metal though? Who doesn't like big fantasy? I mean, power metal can be pretty bad, but I I don't. It's not at all my favorite genre of metal. So uh, I like Herman Lee Death and metal. Sam Totman have been the major creative forces, the twin forces of Herman Lee and Sam Totman. Uh, their last album was in 2019. And it's just called Extreme Power Metal, which is shoot, that's sure. great. I love this. There's a new trope of naming things like that. Yeah, which is like na like naming the your your video game like cultivation video game. Yeah, I really enjoy this. I think uh, it's that Zoomer irony, you know? Yeah, that Zoomer irony has infected the 76 year old Herman Lee. <laughs> Uh, no, he's not 76. He is 45, though. It's funny to be 45 and still playing Dragon Force music. I mean, how old is uh, Rivers Cuomo? Oh, my God, you're right. He's like 55, and he's still making music If yeah, about being a frustrated teenager. Yeah, about being in eighth grade. Yeah. <laughs> he's 52 years old. Oh my God. And he's like, I just jizzed my bed for the first time. I just jizzed my bed for the first time. Yeah. Um, I think, like, the latest. Thinking about you. Yeah. The latest Weezer single was, like, about, like, being unhappy because you're uh, online. Uh, so, Great. You know, that's something we can all relate to. Um, uh, yeah, the mental health, you know, everyone's mental health seems... To, everyone's mental health. The mental health seemed to be going going down down this week. Yeah, it's not uh, the fresh maker, apparently. <laughs> it's my, the fresh taker. My mental health is fine and stable, but mm -hmm. uh, people, were, people were upset for reasons I could not quite determine. Uh, my mental health was bad because my mother is in town and she's judging me. She's, Alex, why aren't you married? Yeah. <laughs> I, maybe you could meet a nice boy, perhaps. Adopt a baby. It could be whatever race you want. A Chinese baby. That's how it works with you. But the, but the boy that you marry, maybe he's Jewish. Maybe he's Jewish. Maybe he's maybe a doctor. He's, maybe he's Chinese <laughs> and he's a doctor. Maybe he's he converts to Judaism for you. Maybe. Who knows? 
Um, uh, I haven't watched the last episode of the rehearsal, but everyone's talking about that. It's good. It's really, really good. Okay, well, <laughs> don't a, spoil as someone last... who was a child actor myself, it's uh, okay. Gets into it. It's basically about the child actors used on the show. Is the general gist of it. And yeah, okay. uh, well, it's weird. There's only six episodes. Yeah, and five of them are devoted to the same. I think same he spent. Thing. He probably spent way too much of the budget on the. Um, on the on the stuff he was building, like the prop yeah. house and the prop bar, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know that's good. It, is is he genius or is he devil? He is uh, he is genius. It's it's interesting that it got renewed for a second season because I feel like it's uh, sort of a complete arc in the first season. So mm-hmm. we'll see how uh, we'll see how you much know. it does. But he's developing quite a little universe, quite a little universe, Nathan Fielder. Well, yeah. Now everyone's mad at HBO for getting rid of Sesame Street. Yeah. It sucks. I was actually, I was like in the middle of watching Sesame Street. <laughs> yeah, now I won't know what happens. <laughs> I'm not joking. Uh, I, I, I got a one-year-old. We're watching Sesame Street, yeah. and now I fucking can't watch Sesame Street except like the new Sesame Street where they're like, Elmo has AIDS. <laughs> well, fuck off. I don't want to. What you're referencing there, there there was a Muppet with HIV yeah. in, in the South African version of Sesame Street. Oh, I thought it was in the I thought it was in the New York Sesame Street. I there's a specific New York Sesame I like the I idea of The only a, Sesame Street was the New York Sesame Street. Now you're telling me there's like a South African Sesame Street. Yeah, there's Street? a Sesame there's a Sesame in a we've workshop got, in every country. In Canada. Got in this Sesame Street. Uh, yeah, the, <laughs> I I don't know if they go into that on the South Africans. Welcome to South African Sesame Street. Uh, the Muppets are only allowed in certain areas. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. That's really bad. This... No, they did it post-apartheid. Sesame Street only made it to South Africa post-apartheid. But there was a Muppet, in fact, that did have HIV. Yeah, the, the on... new Sesame Street's got too many heavy concepts. I, I want to go back to like... Elmo! getting cyberbullied like they keep know. calling elmo a faggot online yeah they they, <laughs> they swatted elmo and elmo is dead now elmo is dead now they swatted the kiwi farm swatted elmo yeah <laughs> it'll be funny elmo but... started twitch streaming elmo started doing trans activism on twitch streaming and they swatted elmo this is what i think to to fight kiwi farms you have to go into kiwi farms and troll them yeah. And I think one way to do that would be to just constantly start threads about trying to swat Elmo. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this fucking degenerate. Look at this goddamn degenerate. We talk about a lot about the self-infantilization of the queers. Yeah. And here's Elmo, this they, them. Uh, <laughs> he's Elmo-sexual, of course. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's uh, it, so the other debate, the other discourse this week was like um, the removal of these TV shows and movies from HBO Max, and people yeah. were acting like it was like one of the worst things to have ever happened, which I thought was well, very interesting. I think it's I I think if you like I because I have a lot of uh, animators, uh, a lot of animators on Twitter I follow. And it does suck to, like, work really hard on something, and then for all of the official ways to get it, you can't get it anymore. Um, But we were talking about that last week with Esther, about, you know, this increasing problem of digital preservation, and, you know, here it is. Well, I do think, you know... I don't know, dude. If you're making a show for HBO, you're not... You don't own that. Like, you don't own what... That's not yours. That's theirs. Because you signed a contract. 
And this attitude, like they're surprised that a corporation would not treat them with respect. Like, yeah, dude, you signed up to work for the evil corporation. Well, it's interesting because I think artists also got used to the idea that media, there was like a golden age of media preservation when physical media was still like a thing, when you could still have market DVDs and, uh, and, and VHS and stuff like that, because uh, studios suddenly had an incentive to make physical copies of something. Mm-hmm. Um, and before that, in like the 50s and 60s, you know, studio like BBC famously taped over like 200 Doctor Who episodes because they're like, no one's going to want to watch these anymore. Right. <laughs> Take them over. Um, and it's weird that we've gotten back to that again uh, because uh, people just it's just far more convenient uh, for streaming and streaming sort of incentivizes getting rid of this. uh uh, this massive library yeah. of stuff since only like the top 10% of stuff gets streamed. I mean, anyway. I don't think they deleted it. They just, you can't access it on streaming anymore. Yeah, you can't access it through official. I mean, everyone's pirating it now. Can't so. the people, yeah, can't the people who made it access it themselves? Yes, they can. But it's also, um, it's also like the reason why they did it was especially like they they did it specifically so they wouldn't have to pay residuals to the animators. So there was like a there was like a labor thing with it as well. Um, so okay. animators are getting screwed on healthcare as a result of healthcare that they aren't how promised is it, how, well, necessarily. How, okay. how, how is it healthcare? Oh, uh, because the the residuals pay into the animator's health insurance. Okay. I mean, but they could have, they, so they had no idea that this was potentially something that could happen. Well, if, in a way, yeah, because HBO Max was uh, vaunted as like, this is the best streaming service. The people who are in control right now are really good. And then this merger happens and everything gets upended, mm-hmm. uh, seemingly against, you know, better judgment, too, because I think uh, HBO Max was like growing very rapidly on mm. the back of its good content you know yeah i don't know i mean we were talking about this before we started recording like do do the majority of uh quote-unquote normal people watch the prestige tv on hbo no but it's not just about the prestige tv as well it's about the fact that um it could potentially have been more than that it was also just like a a dumping ground for a lot of warner Warner brothers movies and shit Mm -hmm. like that as well and it had like the best film streaming library out of any anything, and that's all being axed. And it was and it was growing in popularity because of like it, it's not it's not going to be like a huge thing, but it's going to have like uh, it's going to have enough numbers to have legs. But it's, apparently, it's strange to me. It's, it's it's just strange to me to be upset about it when it's like, what did you expect them to be like? Do you not know what companies are like? Yeah. Um. I think it's, you know, it's upset because it's just a, it's an emotional response to something you worked on being treated poorly. You know, maybe, you know, I mean, what why I what also baffles me about this is like, how is this not going to incentivize people to do what we do? You know, there's a certain smugness from our angle, because like when you're independent, you know, you own all your shit. You know, yeah. to some degree, you know, I like I don't watermark it, but um, like there's no way that the the only way that our stuff could be taken off is if suddenly our web hosting, you know, goes south. And it's less like that's less likely to happen than, say, a weird, disastrous merger. Right. 
And, you know, um, you just find a new web host. and Yeah. I mean... So, I yeah. mean, Twitter also controls our... So if Twitter fucks up, you know, we get a lot of traffic through Twitter. You know, I suppose I could uh, blame it through that, but... Yeah, um, the, 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 the corresponding thing for us would be, like, Twitter... Twitter all of a sudden has a new rule where you're mm -hmm. not allowed to draw dicks. Yeah. And they ban you. Yeah. And then all of you... All of your tweets and all of your images that you posted... Like, say we didn't have any backups, like all of the all of your comics were only there you would not you know yeah that could that could happen um it's but we know about that and so we make backups and but also like there's a difference because you you don't sign a contract with twitter i mean i guess you sort of do yeah but you do it's a not an service, but... you agree to root to conditions and one of the conditions mm -hmm. is they can ban you at any time yeah and that's kind of there's a similar thing with HBO when you are an animator or you work on a show for them you you're not that's not you don't get to own that because yeah they're they own your labor because you are a worker being exploited by cap like by big capital so I'm sorry yeah. that that happened to you use it to no longer work for HBO I mean it's very frustrating especially with animation because you you do need a big studio apparatus and lots of money in order to like make uh, like a very high quality animated show like you can be an independent animator and just do it by yourself and produce quality work yeah, but like it takes cyanide, so much fucking time cyanide and happiness has done it yeah mm -hmm. absolutely um but if you want like really like gorgeous beautiful you know there's just the market for that is is dying so um but yeah, I don't see how this just doesn't incentivize animators to do the thing that we're doing and just grind it out on social media until they can, you know, crowdfund enough money to get their shit done independently such that they'll. And I think, you know, that that is the that is the way things are going. Uh, all of these big legacy media operations just do not understand how to preserve talent um, or do not understand how to. Um, you know, nurture something that is has a lot of potential. It, it reminds me of like how, like in the '90s, you'd have something like Seinfeld, which for its first three seasons just did not find an audience, mm -hmm. but they had people at the network who were backing it, and eventually it became the biggest thing ever. And I feel like we, like even that moderate amount of risk taking is not present in in business models anymore. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was for Netflix, and they're now serving as like this horrifying object lesson for the industry of just throwing too much money at too much stuff. Mm hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know. Netflix seems like it's probably going to be fine. They'll probably yeah. just have to cut back. And, yeah, uh, just some of the back. schlock they're putting out. Although I did like the Sandman, I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, um, I liked it too. There was oh, there was like debate about the about trans representation and Neil Gaiman's trans representation. I was reading, um, in Sandman. Yeah, in Sandman in particular, um, in the in like the comic books, because hmm. it's more I think more explicitly, uh, uh, there's a trans character in the comic books and. Hmm. It, what I garnered is that, for the most part, he's liked because he's like one of the. They were like he's like the only non. He's, I'm sorry, he's the only non-turf British writer. There, <laughs> yeah, <like>. yeah. 
<laughs> well, the other one is uh, Grant Morrison. They they very early on were writing these great trans characters, uh, like uh, in The Invisibles, a book published in 1992. You know, has Lord Fanny, one of the a, a huge, a hugely influential and uh, wonderfully drawn and deep and well thought out trans characters. Mm. So you know. But I think, I mean, it, from what I could gather from watching the show, like the trans character in um, the in the Sandman is is desire, which which is like a incarnation of, or not, incar- I don't know, what you, a personification of like the concept of desire. But yeah, Gaiman doesn't want you to say that it's a personification. It's like a, they actually yeah. are desire, and yeah, dream actually is dream. So yeah. I don't know. It seems like. Maybe not, not necessarily representation, but yeah. I mean, it's weird that these concepts have like are gendered at all, right? Because if they are concepts, you know, why do they appear gendered? Yeah, yeah. Why is death the hot lady? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it's cool. <laughs> That's why. Because it's, it's cool, cool if death was like a hot, a hot, chill goth lady. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just back to like the 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 art thing and. And then HBO, and I mean, we, HBO is like a patron, and they own your shit. You know, yeah. you're not free, you're not if you make something for HBO, you're not making something for anyone but HBO. Yeah, and they get to decide what to do with it. So don't sign but your yeah. name away. It's sort of lamenting how stuff is now, because even back in the day, the shittiest one season cartoon would still get a DVD release and you could still, you know, they don't do that anymore. Yeah, they don't do that anymore. So it's like I think that's what a lot of people are expressing frustration over, too, is like there was a time that they distinctly remember in their lives when they had access to more versions of media. So, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, this happened. This sort of happened to me. I put not really, but I mean, I put. I put like a hundred songs from it that I recorded from like 15 to 23 on a website called iCompositions.com, and that was the only place they were. I didn't have backups. Mm-hmm. And then at some point in the 2010s, iCompositions.com went under, and they deleted all of the all of the databases of music. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I didn't hear about it. I try to go back and log in, and the website's gone. And all of my music is gone, and I don't I don't have that anymore. So, wow, the, the imperial forces are flying directly overhead. Yeah, well, that's because we're t- we're talking about the loss of art, and you know the, we can't have that. <laughs> could you could you hear that? Uh, <laughs> oh. No, what the hell was happening? Um, there's like some very loud airplane. Ah, well. Uh, well, with that, that's been a wonderful episode discussing the impermanence of everything and how if you're an artist, you're, you're selfish, but also you're good and you're fine. Yeah. Uh, well, um, thanks for listening and uh, let's have a little laugh track to take us out. Uh, <laughs>